Hi, I'm David Dodge. Welcome to part two in our COP26 Tiny Explainer series. Net zero. It's all the rage these days. Countries, companies, and cities all say they're headed there. We try to separate spin from substance. Good day, and welcome to this edition of COP26 Tiny Explainers. I'm Mitchell Beer, publisher of The Energy Mix, and I'm speaking with Catherine Abreu, executive director of one of Canada's newest nonprofits, Destination Zero. So I've started Destination Zero, which is a nonprofit model uh, organization that provides con- consultation services to other nonprofits who are seeking to expand their work on climate justice. And I'm really zeroing in on accelerating the energy transition. It is a huge monumental task, and we need to go flat out um, in transitioning away from fossil fuels to make that task happen. So I'm really excited to be devoting some of my energy to that and getting to work um, with a bunch of partners, also international partners, which is really fun. So getting to our question for today, Kat, net zero targets have been all the rage for government and industry, but we've been hearing over the last year that net zero is not zero. Can you tell us where you see the gaps between the spin and the substance? Yeah, I think this is like really one of the questions of the moment because there's been such an incredible amount of momentum around net zero pledges, both in the public sector and governments around the world. And we've seen it a lot in the private sector as well. And so that feels kind of exciting, right? It's one of the like pits of climate momentum that we've felt in recent years. And at the same time, we also sometimes see net zero commitments being made by organizations or governments that don't seem to actually have uh, the intention of fulfilling that mission um, and who are potentially co-opting that phrase uh, to allow it to perpetuate the status quo of our energy production and use, basically. Um, So I think it's important to ask like how we tell the difference between a net zero commitment that is meaningful and that's going to be part of getting us to where we need to go to keep emissions low enough to hold to that 1.5 degree threshold that we agreed to in the Paris Agreement. And and those net zero commitments that are perhaps, you know, making use of this new terminology to just give cover for continuing to spew out emissions on a status quo basis with a dream of some kind of magical, like, carbon capturing unicorn coming along in 2050 to save us. Um, so here's how, here are some, some tips for me on how we tell the difference between these commitments. Is there a serious plan behind that net zero commitment? Is the plan economy-wide if it's from a government? Or, or if it's private sector, is it supply chain-wide? I think is a really useful question to ask. Because It's only if it is at that scale that we're going to have the net zero um, reality (laughs) emerge, right? This is a a whole of um, society kind of project. If there is a plan and it is at the correct kind of scale, does it start now? Um, I think part of what gets criticized with net zero is often it's net zero by 2050 and there's this worry that we're like pushing it off 30 years. Um, But if we really mean net zero, that equals deep emissions reductions today, tomorrow, and every day hereafter between now and 2050. It doesn't mean we wait. 
until 2050. You're making me think of some of the net zero pledges that we've seen in Canada, particularly from fossil fuel companies in Alberta, um, where, sure, we can, you know, we can get to net zero by 2050. No problem, folks. And with the 20% of our emissions that are actually in our hands, as opposed to the 80% that take place after our product reaches its final destination and gets used as directed, right? Sure, we can get that 20% for you. It'll only cost taxpayers a good $50 billion in additional subsidies. Um, care to comment on where that places on the scale of net zero promises? If we have every country saying, well, we're going to be net zero, but we're going to, in our net zero planning, assume we can continue business as usual uh, coal-fired electricity, for instance, and we will just offset that somehow in some other place, you know, perhaps some other place abroad. Um, if every country in the world is making that kind of calculation, I mean, you very quickly get to see that net zero is an impossibility, right? Not everyone can externalize and offset their emissions, right? And so that means no one can. Everyone has to take responsibility for their own emissions and drive those as close to zero as possible um, before thinking about these kinds of offsetting protocols. So it's similar, I think, in the oil and gas sector where, you know, if we are just thinking about net zero is applying to that very narrow band of emissions um, that that result from the production of fossil fuels on the ground and not applying to that band, that very huge band of emissions that results from the combustion of those fossil fuels where they're ultimately used, um, then we're not counting this huge piece of the pie. And if everyone isn't counting this huge piece of the pie, then what we are counting is meaningless, right? So so I think that's part of the net zero dialogue that we maybe haven't even matured very well into yet um, because it's too new. Which brings us to when you get to the COP, you realize that the serious concerns about net zero targets seem to play out differently in wealthy countries and in the developing world. Canada's been in the top 10 of net global emitters for over a century. We've never left that top 10 spot. And so, you know, those countries that have not been taking up this oversized share of the global atmosphere with their carbon budget for the last century are like, well, why do you keep getting to produce your emissions to do whatever you want to do for your economy? And thinking, ah, you're going to offset your business as usual by making me reduce my emissions. Why don't I get to benefit? Catherine Abreu still thinks net zero is possible, but zero must mean zero. And there must be equity between nations of the North and South. And as we've said, nothing about climate change is simple or easy. Thanks to Mitchell Beer and Catherine Abreu of Destination Zero. This is a joint production of the Energy Mix and Green Energy Futures. Thanks for listening and follow our coverage at theenergymix.com and greenenergyfutures.ca. For COP26 Tiny Explainers, I'm David Dodge. The Climate Change.